0: The scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever.
1: thank you for the prayer, Pastor Paul, for the scripture reading, Joyce. Uh, Yeah, and thank you to you all as as my church, uh, giving me and my family some time off. Um, And and please do pray for me because it it will be hard for me to not think of our ministries and uh, to, to try to take a break and not do what I have normally been doing will certainly be a challenge. But thankful for the opportunity to be able to take a break. Well, before we get into the sermon this morning, I want to welcome a couple guests who have joined us. Uh, we have Hannah to my right. If Hannah, if you could just raise your hand so we can all see you, acknowledge you. And we also have, thank you, and, and Joshua and Grace sitting somewhere, I think, in the back. If you can just raise your hand so we can acknowledge you. Let's welcome them together. <clears throat> Thanks for joining us today. Well, as we're here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, this passage really is in the context of spiritual gifts and the Corinthians desiring to have and exhibit a lot of spiritual gifts. Paul has heard in Corinth through a sister named Chloe that uh, the church has been experiencing a lot of division because these members started seeking after wisdom and power, not so much to worship the Lord and serve the members of the church, but because they were jealous of anyone who had claimed to have received anything special. And so they would get into these needless philosophical debates. They sought gifts that uh, that were very showy, like speaking in tongues, and boasted about what they were able to do or who they learned under. Now, having been ministered by the Apostle Paul for about 18 months at least, planting the church and building relationships with them, the Corinthians had a great awareness of the Spirit's work, but, but they really failed to appropriately apply his work and sought the work of the Holy Spirit for their own selfish gains. Now, in our passage this morning, we, we see how these gifts were causing the Corinthians to divide, and Paul reminds them of who they are so that they can have the right understanding and the right purposes for their gifts, start using them appropriately, not for personal and selfish gains, but for the purpose of building up the church. Uh, as, as I'll be taking some time off, I know there, there will be a greater burden placed upon our staff team uh, and, and perhaps even you as members of our church, certainly with my youth team. And, and you know, I was thinking about this passage as I was contemplating and really reflecting and giving thanks to God of how I have already seen our churches and our members stepping in and stepping out to fill in places that are in need. And so I hope our passage and, and the message this morning will encourage you to do so all the more uh, and, and perhaps even challenge you to be active as, as you participate as members of our church. So Join with me in prayer as we go into the preaching of the word. Our Heavenly Father, thank you, God. For your grace and kindness, and, and as you have called us this morning to worship you, and I pray that you would give us the grace to understand and hearts that will be convicted to live a life that is pleasing to you. Help us in all things to gain the sight of our Lord Jesus and what he has accomplished so that in all seasons and circumstances of life that we can rejoice and find our peace in Christ and be willing to sacrifice ourselves for the sake of your glory, uh, sacrificing even ourselves for, for the members of this church whom you love that our love for them will also grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, one day as I was uh, walking around my house in the dark hallway, although this happens even when it's not dark, I stuffed my toe on the furniture, causing, uh, creating a tiny wound of a small cut on my pinky toe. Now, <clears throat> you may not know this, but immediately when that happened, the blood cells in my body started to clump together in that very area in order to create a clot so that the wound would be protected and prevent further blood loss. That clot would become dry, forming a scab, and, 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 it would, and the scab would protect the tissues underneath from germs, and then my blood vessels in my toe would open up, bringing in oxygen and nutrients, along with white blood cells to fight any infections in that area. As a result of that, made my toe a bit red and slightly swollen. Uh, those white blood cells, called macrophages, would produce growth factors to help repair the wound. And then my red blood cells would come in, creating collagen, that uh, tough white fibers that would form the foundation for the new tissue. And other tissues would begin the repairing process by filling in the wound and forming a new skin over that tissue. And then over time, that little scab would fall off and it would leave a little scar, which would start to fade and to the point where I don't even notice it anymore. Now... I have no idea what I just said. I just looked this up on the internet at one point. (laughs) But it shows us that even in how the body cares for the smallest of wounds is a very complicated and strenuous activity of the human body. Now, being an educated man, the Apostle Paul must have known, and, and he probably had known, some certain knowledge of the human body. But as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, we see that even with our modern medicine, and understanding the human body in a microscopic level that the analogy of the community of God's people as a body remains to be a perfect analogy. We as a church, we are a body made up of many parts to make up the whole, and the body is healthy when each and every part works together, even in ways that are not seen nor recognized. Now, in the opening portion of our passage this morning, Paul tells the Corinthians that all believers are one body. And this doesn't matter on one's social or economic status, which was a big deal to the Greeks, to the, to, the, uh, to the Corinthians. Nor is it based on one's ethnic relationship, which was a huge deal upon the Jews. If you're in Christ, you are not less of a body nor unimportant to the body, regardless of whether you're a Jew or a Greek, uh, slaves or free. And this was an extraordinary statement to make to the Corinthians who very much valued social status and who probably themselves owned servants. And Paul is saying that if your servants are Christians, if your slaves are Christians, then they are one with you, the masters, as equals before the Lord. And, and Paul emphasized many times to the Corinthians in 1 and 2 Corinthians of their need to care for the Jerusalem church, uh, the, the Jewish Christians, because the gospel came from the Jews. They sent all these leaders from the Jerusalem church. And, and because in this moment as he's writing these letters, the, the Jerusalem church is heavily struggling with the great famine in the area. And so as a, as a Greek church who has all this material possession— Put some in your offering so that it can be given to these Jerusalem churches, your elder brothers and sisters who brought these leaders and the gospel to you. And, and as a result of that, the, the Greeks may have the sense where, where they're, you know, a second-class Christian, uh, you know, because they're, they, they got the second helping after the Jewish Christians. But Paul is saying, you are also one with them. Those whom you highly regard, you are also one with them as one church. So in that very statement in verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit, Paul is lifting these Christians up and bringing them down at the same time, exalting them up to their proper place, that you are people of God, sons and daughters of God, but also humbling them to their proper place so that they should not think more highly of themselves than they ought. And they are one, as he says. Jews or Greeks, free or slaves, you are one because you share the same spirit of God. Just as a person has one body and one spirit, the church is the one body of Christ with the one spirit of God. As a church, we're not united because of our ethnic identity, nor are we united because of our social status. While our ethnicity and our social status are not eliminated when we become Christians, they're no longer our superior identifying markers. We are united as one body simply because we have received the same Spirit of God. So what does it mean to be a body? That's what we're going to focus on this morning. As we gather together and Paul says the church and the assembly of God is a body, what does that mean? And so there are three points that I'll cover this morning which make up the outline of the message. Number one, a body has diverse members. Number two, the diverse members are all valuable to the body. And number three, the valuable members have responsibilities in the body. So what does it mean to be a body? There's diversity. There's value of all the components. And there are responsibilities among these components or by these components. That's what it means to be a body. So first, it has diverse members. It's not a surprise to hear that a community, uh, as a community, we are one. Right? A lot of communities and a lot of gatherings out there, there's always this sense of oneness. That's not a surprise to us to hear. Even uh, as we have done throughout our, our young days and, and perhaps even now we, when we give our Pledge of Allegiance, we, we state that we are a one nation under God. When I was in high school and, and you know, various branches of the military were coming to recruit students uh, into, into the military branches, uh, the U.S. Army at the time had the slogan, Army of One. So it's not a surprise to hear that when people come together as a group, we come with a sense of oneness. The Apostle Paul here is not focusing on the one aspect, but he's actually focusing on the diverse aspect, that, that we are diverse, we are unique, we're individuals made of different parts. We are different parts, and that's what he's focusing here in this chapter. Not that we're a different species, but as the same species, we have various abilities, we have various insights, we come with various experiences. We are individuals and individually unique from one another. Not only are we diverse in our background, but Paul says in earlier verses in verse eight to 10, that God has intentionally given people different gifts, whether we may want them or not, that we have received different gifts from God. For he says in verse eight to 10, for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit to another faith, by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And these gifts were given by God really for the common good. Like the way that we have different body parts that specifically fit in their place, God has arranged the members of the church in the body as he chose. So I wanna show a, a, a short video clip here. Um, hopefully the media team is getting that ready. There we go. If you can start at like the 15 second mark. Yeah. yeah you're gonna have to lower the volume too. <laughs> But uh, this is the Hyogo Performing Arts Center Orchestra playing Johannes Barms, uh, Brahms Symphony Number no. 4, 3rd Movement. And like every orchestra, every, each and every instrument belongs there. There is not one instrument that is meant to be taken out. And even if you may prefer a, a particular instrument to be removed, perhaps because you were forced to play it as a child and you have these childhood trauma when you see certain instrument, every orchestra is complete to play this piece only when every single one of them are played. And here's my best part. Even the humble triangle. You can stop the video. Right? The triangle is often the forgotten instrument when we think of an orchestra. But this piece, this particular piece, would not be complete, w- would not be complete without it. And God has orchestrated the church to be filled with members with diverse gifts. And in this diversity, there is truly a beautiful unity, like a classical music piece that is beautified by the variety of instruments. For the church, this means we need to understand that that people are not going to easily fit into the mold that we want them to be in. People may not be the person that you want them to be, And you certainly can't force people to do what they're not equipped to do. Instead of being frustrated at people, perhaps then we should learn to be thankful for the diversity we see in our ministry. We may be frustrated at certain people for not doing what we're expecting them to do, though certain expectations are legitimate. But we should learn to be more thankful for the members in our church and the diversity of gifts and personalities that we see in our church rather than be frustrated and complain about them. We should reflect and be thankful for the differing, even differing opinions and methods, as long as they're differing opinions and not difference in core theology and ecclesiology. So dear friends, as we gather together and assembled as a church this morning, are we growing in thankfulness for the members in this body? Now you may say, I can't get along with him or her. We're just so different now that might be a good reason not to marry the person right but but perhaps as a church consider this maybe the difference is that the reason why we have so many different individuals is because the the differences were meant to come together and make the church the body more beautiful more full now if you have joined us And if you are especially a covenanted member of our church, an an official member of our church who has gone through the the classes and taken the oaths, you belong here. And if you have those covenanted members around you, regardless of your opinion of them, they belong here. So as a church, we belong to one another, no matter how messy this congregation can be sometimes like the way that we've heard last, last week. As we belong to God, we belong to the church. As God is our God, this body belongs to us. So even with our own bodies, right, as you know yourself, I'm sure you have times where you wished you, want, you wanted to change certain parts of you, that there are parts of your body that you did not like and you wanted to change. If only my legs were longer. If only my eyes were bigger. And yet, you don't chop off your legs because you don't like them. Rather, you learn to adapt to live with them, and you find out what you're able to do in them. And so like the body, perhaps we need to learn and adapt to each other because we all belong to one another. Our belonging, after all, is based on our identity in Christ that we all belong to Jesus as sons and daughters of God through his sacrifice and resurrection. And our commitment to one another comes from, much like our marital vows, the promises we have made during our membership vows. And if you've been with us, you've heard these membership vows uttered before to the prospect member who stands here. We ask that. And, and, and without reading all of them, I'm just going to read the last two that we ask the members. Do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to preserve its unity and peace? And to the person replies, yes, or I do, to say, I acknowledge I belong to this body. These people belong to me. And then we ask the question to the congregation. Do you as a congregation promise to love and care for the person as part of your spiritual family with the love and grace that Christ has shown you? And we as a congregation, we say, I do or we do to say, as you acknowledge you belong to us, we as a congregation, we are saying we also belong to you. And so Paul says in verse 18 to 20, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So as the body has diverse members, we continue and find that these diverse members are all valuable to the body, coming to our second point. And here Paul continues to acknowledge in verse 21 to 26, the analogy of the church as a body and speaks of how our human bodies do not speak to one another in terms of devaluing. The eye does not say to the hand, I don't need you. The head does not say to the feet, I don't need you. Our bodies don't communicate like that. When, if, and when it does, that's when we say, you need to go to the doctor. Something's wrong with you. When our body starts attacking itself, that's when you need to be hospitalized. So there's an understanding that our body knows it needs every single component and that none of these components are truly weak. We may perceive some of our parts to be weaker, but every part is necessary to uphold other parts of the body. So the Bible tells Christians, to see the value in the members of this body. There is, not one, there is none who is useless in the church, but all the members are absolutely necessary. And so let me be clear here on how Paul understands value or puts value to believers. Now, you as individuals, you are all valuable simply because you're created in the image of God. You are more valuable than any dog or any cat, any bird or any horse. You are greatly valuable Simply because God made you in his image. And so we value every single individual. But the the type of value that Paul places here in this text is you are valuable because you are connected to the church. If one piece of you, if one of you fall away or you are harmed, then it will affect the other part of the body. You are valuable because you are connected to one another. And so some of you... You may perceive yourself and perhaps even other people to be weak or useless, but God has given gifts to all believers, albeit these gifts may not be flashy nor publicly seen nor acknowledged, but like the blood cells in our body that is not seen but necessary for survival, you are indispensable to the church. It's like it's, it's when you stub your pinky toe, you realize how much you relied on that toe to stand, walk, and balance and perhaps even in your hand, you look at your pinky finger, and while it is the shortest finger in your hand, if you don't count the thumb as, your, as a finger, although for me, my thumb and my thumb pinky are the same length, <laughs> it is responsible for up to 50% of your grip strength. So we look at it, and it is short, and it's perceived to be weak, but it is responsible for much of the strength in your hand. And so the Bible says that God so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And how do you know that that we genuinely express same care for one another and that we are a body not divided? He says in verse 26, when one member suffers, all suffer together. When one member is honored, All rejoice together. What this means, dear friends, is that in the church there is no room for rivalry. And jealousy and envy does not have its place in our congregation. Those traits, rivalry, jealousy, and envy, are really all stoked by pride. Pride kills unity because in pride we rejoice when one suffers, and we suffer when one is honored. In my pride, I often think like Ash Ketchum, the Pokemon grandmaster. I want to be the very best like no one ever was. But in my love for Christ and his church, I labor to make the best in others. Now, I want our pastoral interns to be better preachers than me. I want our pastoral interns to be better pastors than me. And, and what is that? This desire to see the best in others, for them to even become better than you. This is, a, this is a heart of discipleship. You're not making disciples so that people can look at you and revere you and set you up as the model for the Messiah. You're making disciples in order that they may revere Christ and see Jesus continually as their model and reason for living. So then they will go and make disciples of, of Christ and show Christ more clearly than you have ever done. And we would rejoice for that to happen. For future generations, for for other disciples of Jesus, to be able to present Christ more clearly than our generation has been able to do. We would rejoice that Jesus is revealed more clearly in future generations. So parents, are you laboring in such a way that your children, to the best of your ability, will follow Christ faithfully better than you have been doing? Or have you been presenting this lifestyle, saying what matters in life is that you get a good job and make good money? Now, there's nothing wrong with implementing that vision to our children. We need children to grow up to become hardworking adults who are honest in their jobs and making good money. But are you teaching your children to pursue such life as a follower of Jesus Christ? Are you teaching your children that there are certain jobs that you ought to pursue because it is good for the humanity that God has created? And and are you telling them that there's a difference as a Christian, that though you may earn lots of money, you don't spend it like everyone else does? Are we impacting and helping our children understand that while we live in certain ways like the rest of the world, the way we think about it and the way we react to certain things will be different because we are not who we used to be. We are in Christ. Married couples, are you laboring in your marriage to show your spouse that Christ is your king, whom you love and enjoy? That to the best of your ability, you are creating a divine hunger in your spouse to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. So that your husband or your wife can experience the great joys of following Christ even more than you have been able to experience Christ. That you desire for your spouse to experience full bliss and satisfaction in the Lord. And that you will do what it takes to make sure that they really see him as he is. Single people, are you living faithfully as a Christian in the places where you live, where you work, and where you play? So that people can see you and see that you truly belong to another world because you don't hold things tightly in this world. You're very loose in the way you hold money and status. And that you're able to proclaim through your word and deed this message of hope. Convincing people that there is truly this better world out there. This is not all there is to to live. And so where do we start this process? And where where are we sustained in this process of becoming Christ-like parents, spouse, and friend? It's in the church. As a member of the church, you don't just belong here. You are needed here. And you also need us. Not just for you but also for the generations after you. Kevin DeYoung said, the man who attempts Christianity without the church shoots himself in the foot, shoots his children in the leg, and shoots his grandchildren in the heart. What he means by this is that you can't go far as a follower of Jesus without the church. Sure, you can do your Bible studies and your prayers, but you need the people of God to walk with you. You need people to encourage you, to challenge you. You need people to remind you of who God is and how we worship together despite our differences and how God is sustaining and how he's making all things new. You cannot go far as a Christian without the church. But in your attempt to try to do so, as as Kevin DeYoung said, it's going to cause your children to stand in the world and not be strangers to the world. And that's going to lead your grandchildren to die in their sin because all they have learned is not a need for the Redeemer, but that our hope is in the world and not Christ Jesus, our Lord. But we need to know the need for one another. That as you are valuable in the church, it's, you will also need us. As the body has diverse members and its diverse members are all valuable to the body, the valuable members are, have responsibilities in the body. So I don't want you to think, as we are in this third and last point, to think that this message is about how important you are and how you are special. You are important and you are special to us as a member of this church. But the focus here is on how you've been planted into this body and you have been given gifts to edify and build up the body. These higher gifts that Paul has been addressing in verse 31 are the very gifts that we use for the purpose of building up others. And you don't just build up the church by sitting and passively attending. Like the very purposes of our bodily components, the church is built up when its members function, using their abilities, their gifts for the sake of the whole. When every member recognizes their responsibilities for the body of Christ, the church. Paul talked about how there are diverse members. And he said how these members are all valuable because we're connected to each other. And so he says in this portion in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You are that diverse member in this church. You are that member who is valued, and therefore you have been given gifts to lovingly care for one another. Now, not all of us will have titles like pastor or director. Not all of us will teach nor pray or read the scripture in front of people or sing the songs on the stage. Not all of your pictures will be posted on our website, And not all of us will get public recognition for what you have done for the body. But what man does not know, God knows. When man does not give you praise, you have words from our Heavenly Father whose praise to you will be greater than what any man can give to you, so much so that we call that glory. To know that one day you will stand before your Father in heaven and hear the words of Him saying to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. We long to hear those words from our Father in heaven that we're saying there's nothing in this world compared to that glory which will be made ours when we see Him face to face. But friends, you do have a responsibility to keep this body united in Christ. You do have the responsibility to maintain its health and unity. Now, all of us don't have the same gifts, and some of the gifts that we have may not be used often, but we've all been given variety of gifts to be used when they're needed because the gospel work is too big for a person to to do and, and even for a small group of people to fulfill. So ask yourself this question. What can we do as a church to become a better church? Do you have that answer in your head? What can we do to become a better church? And then now ask, is it something that you're able to do? What is it that we can do to become a better church? And is it something that you're able to do? Perhaps the reason why you see such great need in a particular area, whether it's vacancy in a formed ministry or the necessity to do something that's not yet being done, perhaps it's because God is calling you to partake in that area of need. It may also be that God is calling you to challenge and be an encourager to someone who is able, who might be able to do a better job than you. And that's a hard thing to do as well. We are prideful people. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be praised. And so it, it, it is hard for us to admit that there are people who can do something better than us. And so what that means is go and challenge the person that you know who can do a better job. Right? Not, not belittling or... or, or filling them with such guilt, but pointing out the very gifts that you believe God has given to that person by uh, when you observe that person speak, when you observe the way that person behaves and the way that you see them utilize certain gifts, whatever it may be, that you can observe our members and see what gifts God may have given to them and, and share that with them. I think God has given you the ability to do X, Y, and Z. I think God has really given you this. Perhaps this is a place, good place for you to serve. As I know what my left hand is doing, we, I think we, it would be helpful for us to grow in awareness of our members' strengths and weaknesses, see where their gifts may lie, and challenge them to utilize their gifts for the sake of the body. Now, I, I do that, but do that once you realize you're really not the person for the job. Right? I don't want our members to constantly pass up the opportunity to, onto others simply because they themselves don't want to do it. So that that could be a challenge for some of us. You know you are capable, and you feel like perhaps God has given you this opportunity, but you just don't want to do it. So I think you, brother or sister, can do a better job than me, right? Pass it on only when you realize you're really not the person for this, but God has given you a certain sense of conviction and awareness that we have that need. Of course, when I'm talking about using our gifts for the body, I'm not strictly talking about events or ministries in the church, But whatever you can do to build up your fellow believer, even outside of our church buildings, this may be simply opening up your home and inviting people to come and feast with you so they can get to know you. This may be opening up your life and being vulnerable for people to pray for you and and in return asking others how you can pray for them and praying for them. This can be spending an hour or two with an unfamiliar ministry like our youth ministry and praying for these students. And one of the things that uh, we're hoping to implement in the future is our youth ministry. We have prayer meetings once a month, and, and we want to start inviting Cornerstone members to come during these weeks and hear our students and pray for them, right? So, so maybe if, if you see that sign up going out to you all, maybe you can take the opportunity to sign up on a Friday and spend about a couple of hours with very awkward young people. They don't watch the stream, nor are they here, so I think it's okay. But it can also be as simple as emailing people in our church, letting them know, you know, I think God has been really pressing you in my mind, how are you doing? It can be creating something like a GoFundMe page or something similar to it and rallying people to give for someone in in our ministry who's struggling or recovering from an ailment. It can be helping someone create a budget Or give good accounting advice so that they can manage their money well and not fall into debt. It can even be putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation to gently call out sins of others. Because it's destroying their lives and the lives of those around them. And I stress the word gently here because I realize there are people in our ministry and, and people we know who are very good at calling people out. But that we would learn to do so in love. And it can be speaking life-giving words of encouragement with confident reminders to one another of the God who is faithful to us. Don't, don't be silent when you see our members being proactive, but to encourage them and say, God has given you this grace to pursue this holy life, and I thank the Lord for it. God has given you a certain skill, and I think this is a wonderful way that you can use in this ministry or in this way. God has pressed this person in my mind. Can we rally together and maybe reach out to that person? There are many ways that we can utilize gifts that God has given to us to build up one another as a church. And why will anyone be willing to utilize their gifts for others, even though it may not come with any recognition, any title, or praise from others? It's because there's love. When you love, utilizing your gifts will come without a second thought. And this is, what, this is why Apostle Paul ends this passage in verse 31 with, and I will show you a still more excellent way. After this, he, t- he spends an entire chapter as a parenthetical statement, explaining to the Corinthians of what love is, so that as they understand what love is and what love does, he can then say in the beginning of the next chapter in chapter 14, this most excellent way, pursue love. Love is the only context for for gifts because no matter how gifted you are and whatever you may be able to do, if you do all of those things and you have not loved, you are nothing. You have done nothing. So before my closing words, I hope you'll reflect on this. There is no such thing as a useless Christian. And if you're being useless, you may not be a Christian. Because God has gifted gifts to all of his people in the body for the body. And so if you're being useless, you may not be a Christian because what it displays is your lack of love for God's people, the very people that Jesus loves. As the Apostle John said in his letter, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Brothers and sisters, I hope the church is precious to you because it is precious to our Lord Jesus Christ. It is for the church that he died, and it is the church that Jesus works to purify. It is the church that Jesus will present to the Father as his precious, holy, and righteous bride. It is the church that Jesus works by his Holy Spirit to impact the world and bring light into the world. It's the church where Christ is revealed and gives his love. It's the church that will one day see the glory of God and hear the words of our father saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. So as you grow to understand God's love for you, dear Christian, as you reflect upon his sacrifice for you, As you also grow to understand God's power in you, as you see how he defeated death itself and and empowers you by his spirit, love his church and examine and see what gifts God may have given to you so that we can really edify one another. Let's pray.